0: Well, hello. It's good to have you back for another week. Thanks for joining us. This episode has been sponsored by our generous patrons over on patreon.com forward slash Red Hills Rancher. Check the show notes for a link. As a follow-up to last week's conversation with Frank Wooten over at Vince, this week we're going to go up to the Flint Hills of Kansas and talk to somebody that's actually got Vince collars on their cows. Daniel Mushrush from Mushrush Red Angus is here to tell us about some of the why, about why he wants to manage his cows cows with Vince collars and what he hopes to be able to accomplish so Daniel welcome to the show
1: yeah we finally got it done (laughs) yeah
0: yeah so let's uh let's start off tell us Daniel Mushrush tell us a little bit about yourself and where you're at
1: yeah um I guess first thing if people hear me gasp and wheeze and cough I do have COVID at the moment so um I'll try to edit some of those I apologize ahead of time for that but uh um I guess above and beyond the immediate kind of the bigger picture um uh mush Rush ranches is a multi-generation ranch uh we're in the flint hills of kansas we're right in right in the middle of chase county if you know where that is um, oh
0: yeah it's you're just up the road from the hoy family
1: yeah we'd be neighbors really we'd be neighbors so um we we kind of have a, a multi-pronged story um we've been in the area a long time in the present the I'm kind of the third generation of the ranch in its current form. Um,
0: How did your family get to the Flint Hills?
1: We walked here after the civil war. So that's fun. there's a really neat story. There was um, several brothers and it's really a, the whole story is kind of a tale of, woe. Um, They showed up on a boat as young boys with their, with their, uh, their parents and their uncle. They arrived at Ellis Island. Um, They lost the uncle, never to be seen or heard from again. Um, They ended up in Wisconsin, and after being there for a couple years, uh, the parents got sick and died. Um, so the three brothers, one or two were all um, were underage. Actually, they they did the whole trick of they wrote eighteen on their shoe, and then said, you know, they were over eighteen, and they got in, got into the army, just because they they were just they had nothing to. No reason else to, to go pay. yeah um one of those brothers died the other two got a land uh received land in chase county for fighting for a uh, regiment in wisconsin and so they walked to uh walk to chase county and set up shop and and eventually you know wrote back and, and got their wives and had them come in and and um there's we've been kind of doing some some history of those guys and even then it was kind of interesting because you can read it just clear as day today that one of them was kind of responsible and held down the fort and kind of built the family operation and kind of tried to tried to uh, you know kind of keep it together and the other one would he'd go off and fight indians and shoot buffalo he was kind of the <laughs> he kind of had the wild hair the two of them um but but from those guys uh from from Francis, uh, the more responsible one, I guess he would have been my great, great, great grandfather. Okay. Um, he's that was on the West side of Chase County. Um, they slowly kind of put that place together. And then in the, uh, kind of in the fifties around that time, my great grandfather, God bless his heart, uh, was a hypochondriac and pretty much sold out and moved to town to die and lived until he was, I think, 93 or 94 and died in the 90s. Um, and so we kind of got to start over again. Um, and when we, when we restarted there, my grandfather bought um, kind of some land that was kind of over, around Elmdale, between Elmdale and Cottonwood Falls.
0: About what year was that?
1: Oh, that had been in the 50s. He came home from the Korean War then and okay. started and started kind of doing this okay Um,
0: i'm just trying to make sure i'm following along here
1: yep yep so so grandpa came and he actually worked at the bank for years so he he wasn't uh he had a little bit of ground but he wasn't full-time ranching at all if anything you know he kind of did the i mean he sacrificed working in town so so dad could have a shot at it and grandma was was really active day to day um dad came home from, he graduated K-State in 1980 and came back to the farm, which of course, if anybody knows, um, was a great maybe time about to the start worst frying. year. Yeah. About the worst year you probably could have picked if you wanted to graduate from college and come home and start farming the ranching. Um, and so he and mom came back in 1980 and, and kind of scrabbled through those times. Um, and then, uh, so that had a bunch of us kids and, and, um, I guess kind of fast forward to present day now it's um, my mom and dad are here uh, do dated, you know, still daily work, Uh, my wife and I are employed full time and then I have two brothers Cole and Chris who are all back and so um, no outside help still very much a family business. Um, No outside money coming in we're we're kind of making a go at it in the cattle industry. good stuff uh, on the genetic side, we, everything we do is, is kind of uh, through the, through the red Angus vein, I guess, if you will, we don't have any row crops. Um, we we're kind of diversified in that we have some stockers. We have a, a commercial bred heifer project uh, mainly those two things. Um, they satisfy a couple of different needs, I guess, whether it's uh, filling extra grass or, or being able to buy customer calves or even sell, selling commercial heifers and then kind of the main the main component of the business is there's around 750 registered red angus cows that are split spring and fall and um they kind of keep us keep us pretty busy we were doing embryo work this morning we'll be pulling cedars tonight but um that's kind of the the good the good and bad about a two season deal like that is it works really well on paper because you're always busy and then the the downside of having two herds of any sort of size and a, only a family operation is you're always busy. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so we're we're kind of working on that at the moment, but um, that's kind of you know that's in a quick and dirty. I guess that's that's kind of um, kind of where we're at today. I guess.
0: Okay. So what's your story? How did you uh, how did you get back to the farm?
1: Yeah. Um,
0: or branch, I'm sorry. Ranch. Yeah, we're Western yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. I, I yeah. should know better.
1: <laughs> um, my story is, um, <coughs> grew up, went to K State. Um, I will that
0: against you. I mean, it's, well, it's,
1: we we didn't know. I didn't know there was other colleges until I was several years removed. Honestly, <laughs> it was it was where I needed to go. Um, and so went up there. Had a had a a great time. I I can't can't fight it uh i mean i i really i think i was lucky to be i was lucky to be in manhattan at a really good time and that even now when i'm when i'm removed you know longer than i want to admit 15 years or so now i guess um you know i'm starting to look back and the people that i was really good friends with at k-state are starting to make a difference in the industry starting to see people do things and maybe even outside of the industry doing things in other areas that I was in a really good time to surround myself with a lot of people who, um, forced me to be better, I guess, for lack of a better word. Um, and so that was a great experience. Um, obviously met my wife there, which was a a cherry on top. Um, that's a good, got done, got done with that. Um, worked briefly at Cargill. Um, I went into the cattle buying program. Um, One of the many benefits that I picked up at K-State was I got fluent in Spanish. And so cattle buying kind of got sidetracked to operations in Dodge City. And um, if you want to get right down to it, I prefer to keep them alive than kill them. I mean, I know that's where they all end up, but that's just not where I wanted to be. Um, I'm with you.
0: I, I I'm, I'm with you on that. I would much rather see him alive, fat and happy in the pasture.
1: Yeah. It, it just it wasn't, wasn't where I wanted to be. Um, that being said, I wasn't quite ready to come home yet. I just, I was still young filling my oats and I went from there to, I was actually a commodity broker for several years in Amarillo, Texas. Um, and that was really invaluable. That was or valuable. Sorry. Um, that was, that was a, uh, that was a really great experience um, in terms of not only now marketing risk, um, doing some different things on the ranch, but just how to think about um, how to think about agriculture as, as industry, how to, you know, real money decisions, um, you know, marginal decisions, you know, lots of concepts flying at you at 100 different ways and, and some things that I still kind of live and die on that uh, might frustrate even some people at some point. But um that was a good experience. Um we had a kid while we were there. Our firstborn Sadie was born in Texas and at that point it was that was time to come home. Um you know we, we liked Amarillo but it wasn't where we wanted to raise a family. And so uh we moved back about 12 years ago I guess. Um and we've been we had three more kids after that and we've been building the cow herd and we haven't looked back. So um that's kind of my background I guess is is um yeah not not a lot uh you know just kind of grew up in the flint hills um I guess hopefully like in any sort of ranching deal I guess hopefully enough white collar work that I am smart enough not to go broke but enough blue collar <laughs> experience that I am not <laughs> don't have the silver spoon in my mouth and I can go out there and get dirty and make it happen
0: That's a fun balance isn't it
1: it it actually is. It's actually one I kind of enjoy, um, but that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we're at, I guess.
0: So what, let's talk about ranching in the Flint Hills a little bit. I mean, most of what I think of when I hear ranching in the Flint Hills is burn it. The first burn it about the 10th, the 15th of April turn out seven to 10 days later. Double stock with yearlings for ninety to hundred days, and then get them out of there and go to Florida. How are you different?
1: I'm I'm about different in all of that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it is, I don't know is that why. Most days I hills, wonder
0: is that this, the way most so, of Flint Hills works.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> so the thing that a lot of people confuse about the Flint Hills is is they think you know well it's great grass, What so it must be great grass year round. Um for for everybody who's not familiar with this this area I guess i'll back it up so um, if somebody doesn't know where the flint hills are it's it's a narrow strip in Kansas kind of on the east side runs from border to border. Um, there's there's some people in Oklahoma that think they have some too well, I guess, for being diplomatic we will say that the flint hills (laughs) go in Oklahoma as well um. It's it's some of the original tall grass native prairie left in the in the country of, of the original tall grass, most of it was broken out. Um, only 2% remain of that 2% around 90 plus percent of that is now for the Flint Hills. The only reason it wasn't broke out is because the ground was just too rocky It just didn't allow them to break it out at that time, and so it stayed in its virgin prairie state. Um, Another big
0: chunk of undisturbed native prairie red hills where i'm at
1: that's right that's right yeah. I've, I've actually i've actually kind of learned a little bit about those with the gpgi deal the last couple of years so
0: and and the remainder um, the remainder like the little tiny bit that's not in the flint hills or the red hills is up at the smoky hills but yeah the rest of it's rest of it and it wasn't farmed because um you really can't a lot of it's not flat enough to be farmed and it's way way too rocky to even try to think about pulling any kind of an implement yep. through. And even building fence is kind of an issue in in that area with all the rocks in the soil, right?
1: Yep. Yep. I I always tell people that um you know we have rock bits for T posts. You know, a lot of parts of the world don't think like they've never even heard of such a thing. Um but it's something that we were pretty familiar with. You knock the spade off, you kind of have a smooth bore, you drill it out there, and you smash the post in, and there you go. And you move on to the next rock, and you, you, you rinse and repeat. So um, yeah, it's a, it's a tough part of the world to, to, to do improvements, I guess, sometimes. Um, but but going back to the, the, cattle, the, the cattle side of it, what you said is really how it's been for a long time. Um, the grass is really good, and a lot of people know that, the, you know, hear stories about how good the grass is the grass is really good for May, June, and July, Um, and then it kind of, I always tell people, it kind of works like wheat pasture. Um, While it's green, it looks really good. When that stuff turns off, it really starts falling apart on us, and it it just doesn't cure on the stem at all. It just doesn't hold any value, so by the time we get to kind of the first of the year, second of the year, we're going to be sub-5% protein on that grass, whereas, you know, right now, gosh, we're probably 18. Um, And and a month
0: ago, it was five.
1: (laughs) Right. Right. Um, um, And so we go from, we go from, uh, from 18 to five and from, that's pretty quick. I mean, in terms, you know, a hundred days, it it just doesn't, it doesn't give you a lot of time to, to, uh, to get anything done. Um, So this, this part of the world became stalker country, kind of you know stopover originally from the Texans bringing cattle up and then shipping them on. Um, and there's there's a whole robber baron history in Chase County that's kind of interesting. But um, you know, those big landowners kind of got a hold of these of a lot of these pieces of ground, and a lot of these are um, a lot of these are big even today. I mean, they're still um, they're they're still big kind of expanses that were were put together from those times but where that 100 day grazing season works because that grass is so good is is there's a, a maybe a mis notion that you must take some animals that are really really good and put them on put them on that grass and then those really good cattle become exceptional cattle in that short amount of time i don't think that works really Really, what the the bread and butter of the Flint Hills is to take bad cattle and make them average.
0: Okay,
1: and and that's really when that's where the you know you'll see a lot of flyweight Mexican types that are you know commingled, you know brought in every color under the sun. I don't even want to know how many PI carriers are probably running around um cattle that if they would have gone straight to a feed yard would probably assuredly have died. <laughs> um high risk types a lot of high risk cattle but you can get those high risk cattle in here and the grass will just straighten them out and as as if you've ever kind of had those those sorts picked off on you at a sale barn before and you know how how insane it can make you and somebody sits in there all day and buys them at 30 40 100 at a discount yep and you know some of them they get us and we're all mad about and those there's some of them we let them have right there's some of them you're like yeah i mean unless
0: let you win that one
1: <laughs> that's right you know they they take a lot of those cattle and they turn them out in the flint hills and they get they get okay and and there's a there's a there's a margin to be had by taking bad and making it average in the cattle market um so that's kind of what the flint hills do so where do i fit in then being the registered guy with the full with the full year round cows in the middle of this country i don't fit at all <laughs> um so
0: you're kind of a typical ranching reboot podcast guest don't that's right the neighbors
1: at all (laughs) we we don't fit in we just don't fit in very well um so um why are we doing it in the first place i guess there's there's that um you know well it, it worked for us because nobody else was doing it i guess is kind of a good way to when dad started it um because there was a niche to be had there. And it was, I think there in, the, in a broader sense, what we're doing, there is a niche. Um, and there's still, a, we can talk about that later. But um, so all of what we just talked about, and not even so much the May months, you know, May, June, July, this time of year, this really doesn't define, in my opinion, what our operation does. Because I could take any animal, any animal of any size, of any age, and put it on our ranch right now and it would i'd look like i knew what i was doing um it's making it through the winter the months that define our program really start about thanksgiving and go to about march um in my opinion really probably more like october um you know there there are a handful of of commercial cows here there and um a lot of those will be you know, guys will start supplementing about middle of October. I like to be 45 days after that. Um, a lot of people will want to be supplementing, you know, right up until about May one. I, I try to quit about a month before that. And so a lot of these cow costs, because we are supplementing energy and protein at the same time, if we weren't careful with the sort of cow we had, we would be broke. In fact, um, go ahead
0: what are you supplementing with what do you, what's your winter feed program if you don't mind sharing
1: um i'm an opportunist okay so <laughs> it, it doesn't look <laughs> it doesn't look the same year to year um and like what, but the,
0: is it mainly a cost criteria or you like you don't i don't want to do this no grain program i only want to do alfalfa or
1: i i usually don't do a lot of grain because of cost but it's it's not that i have a um I don't have any moral qualms. I'm not a, you know, I, 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 I'm really good friends with a lot of Argentines, and and I actually am, I'm on a WhatsApp group with them that's called Grass Lovers, and it's actually the English Grass Lovers, and they always tell me that they're taking my Grass Lovers license away from me because I'll say something about, you know, well, why don't you just do this, you know, and they're like, you lost your license, buddy. Then they give <laughs> it back, and I say something else, but and that's kind of where I I feel. A lot of these conversations that are, you know, these, you know, regenerative or whatever it is, I, I'm I'm in the system, but at the same time, there's there's a lot of times I feel like um I maybe embrace this science before I embrace the dogma. And uh and sometimes when I don't when I don't quite embrace the dogma, I don't quite get let into the club. But um
0: <laughs> I think it's that's kind of an interesting point. You know, I was thinking about you, know, you, you mentioned regenerative and I don't think there's a lot of gatekeeping in the regenerative ag community, uh, like you're talking about. Maybe in your in your gra- Argentine Grass Lovers Club, which which sounds cool. I might have to hitch up for an invite to that group because it just sounds like a cool group to be in.
1: They're they're a fun group of people.
0: Um. Oh crap! I forgot what I was gonna say. Yeah, gatekeeping, Uh gatekeeping, and and and, and trying to keep people out or saying. Well, you're not regenerative because you do this. Well, okay. We can't we can't exclude people. We gotta meet it. We gotta I agree. We gotta be meeting them where they are. I,
1: I my my worry about what I see, in, and like I said, I'm still a mem- I guess a practicing member, I guess, but where I what I get tripped up with and I get worried about is sometimes there's so much further fervor for what we're doing that in absence of actual hard data we will kind of sub out, like I said, dogma, you know, well, you know, if it shouldn't, if, you know, it, it's supposed to be this way, it should be this way, you know, and, and I think there's, you know, the empirical data will get there, and, and there probably would be more chances for empirical data if people would actually measure more on their own operations, and I think we're probably lacking in the year 2022, um, but, but that's what I get a little worried about, I guess, on on that, i see
0: you know people follow dogma because it's an easy way to distill a very complex subject or complex concept down to just a few simple words that can be remembered but sometimes that meaning you know that that what should be a very simple elegant thing like my favorite is shake the hand that feeds you i guess you could call yep. that part of my dogma you know I, sometimes they have to be pretty carefully crafted. So you can't take and twist those words and people, you know, start thinking they mean other things than they do. And I I don't have a specific example of that, but that, that kind of goes along with the gatekeeping. You know, we need to stay be inclusive and, and not get tied up into a lot of dogma, but, but be willing to keep
1: educating and learning. Yep. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. Um, but anyway, where were we? Um, oh, yeah. So what are we doing on winter feed? That's <laughs> um, the first thing I do on on winter supplementation. And I, I try to keep everything simple and I try to touch the cows as little as I can, um, because there's only a handful of us, like we mentioned, and we have too much going on as it is. Um,
0: when you say touch, and, are you meaning just bring them into the corrals and, and do things? I mean, with
1: them? human interaction with a single cow. I mean, you know, I try to
0: individual attention,
1: individual attention. One, one of the things that we value the most on our ranch is time because it's one of the things we have the least of, and you can't um, get any more. And, and we can't, I mean, the reason we're bringing siblings back in is because nobody else will work the hours for the pay that we're, that we're providing in the, the, the list of lousy benefits. I mean, you know, we're, we're not going to get to hire anybody at, at, at what are, what we're offering. But because of that, our, our own time is valuable to us. And so um, like the, through, through Christmas, through the first of the year, if I can, I'm a big believer of Bayeret. Simple product, put it in the mineral. Um, you know, the good thing about this Flint Hills is it's pretty easy to kind of leave a stockpile of fall grazing, if you will, let that grass grow ahead of you. Um, one of the best things I like to do is get on the grass late And then that grass is already I'm already behind it and so I'm chasing it all year it grows ahead of me gets rank well then I put the buyer out we eat it back down. Pretty simple. That works until we're short on energy. Um, About the first of the year we run out of energy. Um, And then we'll have to go to hay. Um, Like I'll make I'll put up a little hay this year, because I'm scared to death on what the costs are going to be. Yep. you know, a couple years ago, we had a real weird event here and none of the corn plants pollinated. Um, it just got really hot and dry the week they did. And so there was a bunch of standing, standing corn plants. So I put up three or four years of corn silage that year. And it was cornless silage. But that's why I say I'm a bit of an opportunist. I mean, whatever, whatever the, the deal is at the time, that's what I'll, that's what I'll feed, I guess. Um, I don't know where to hide this year. That's my worry. Um, the other thing we're doing that's maybe uh, makes people scratch their heads, but it's, it's working really well. Uh, three years ago, we started transitioning a bunch of bottomland ground uh, back into perennial forage. Okay. Um, like this have, is right on highway 50.
0: A, that was farmed. And that was farmed this and was, farmed out.
1: Yeah. This was, this was, uh, this was farmed for, for years and years. And um, if anybody's curious, it's right on highway 50, if they've driven by. So the good and bad is if this blew up in our face, everybody was gonna know. Um, now that I'd make the argument that, it's, that it is successful, anybody can drive by and see it for themselves because it's, uh, it's 400 acres right on, right on one of the most uh, traveled roads in the state of Kansas, just right there
0: next time i go up 50 i'll blow the clement's turn and i'll come up there because it's just a few more miles
1: they'd be like yeah it'd be it'd be just right up the way um and so why why cool season you know we get that question a lot like on the regenerative side or some of the carbon capture side of things we're doing you know why not eastern gamma or some of those you know deep-rooted natives you know i already have plenty
0: of deep-rooted natives. you don't have cool season protein
1: that's exactly the that's exactly why is is you know, we rent and own around 15,000 acres of, of native acres currently and with the addition of this, I think i'm up to like 600 of cool season, so I just I still don't have enough. Um, but with it what what is on it is is i'll do a common in the fall it's always wet cows young young fall bred cows it's the only way a fall cow work here um but it it really made a cool thing um we've always had a fall herd but why did we have it it was because our customers demanded an 18-month-old bull it was a customer service issue and that's a lot of the things that we do when we look at a business decision Um, being in the registered business um in a way we're direct to consumer Um, a customer told me that a couple years ago and it it really i never thought of it that way um I, and he I did want
0: to a lot this of, I, I i can't
1: his he and he did he does kind of what you're doing you know um he he sells beef um he actually has a bunch of pastured eggs he he does a lot of the the, the shake the hand that feeds you which i think is awesome he was really involved in that he buys his bowls from us and and i told him i, I had a couple of questions about it how he was handling that and how he dealt with you know just just learning about his business and he said well you're already in it I said, well, what do you mean? He said, Well, you're direct to consumer. He said, Your consumer is the guy who's buying your bulls. You're direct consumer, and you've been you've been in direct to consumer ag for longer than anybody. And okay. I kind of I it, it's really been a it's a good thought exercise, I guess, when he told me that and how you think about that. But one of the, and it, it kind of helped connect some dots. And one of them was this was was we always had a fall herd in the Flint Hills, which was on paper, stupid, um, you had more, you had more feed costs. Obviously the calves, you know, you'd put a bunch of feed into them and they, would you know, you'd wean 400 pound calves off of 900 pound cows at the end of the year because everybody was just in bad shape and, and treatments and everything. It just, it was a square peg in a round hole, but we did it because the customer demanded an 18 month old bull. Uh, a lot of our, a lot of our bulls, um, sorry about that. A lot of our bulls go to uh, hard parts of the country, um, and it's it's because of the genetics and the delivery. But but you know it's not uncommon for bulls to go to New Mexico, where it's a hundred acres to a pair, four five or six cows a section type stuff. Is is they, that
0: what you're calling harder country, like New Mexico, Mountain West?
1: yeah there, there's a combination there's, there's there's that there's kind of the cap rock up in there and then you know i also put into that category and our bulls go there a lot of times is that central and south missouri where the kentucky 31 just hotter than a pistol and you know and and yeah it has some times that it's good but you know nobody i don't think is going to say that you know south central missouri in august on hot kentucky 31 is a very good place to be a cow you know there's <laughs> And and so those areas that have those prolonged where an animal is going to have to gut it out and work that's where those where those animals kind of where those those cattle go. Um, but uh, oh, geez, I got on a tangent again. I'm so sorry. Um, we're we're talking <laughs> about winter feeding. Winter feeding. So that's what what. And this is the first year I've done it, and I'm super excited about it. Um, we have enough fescue now in the production. That I have a set of fall cows that I've I've been able to you know they they went on to fescue as stockpile on November one. They went all the way around till a little bit after valentine's day and I ran out of stockpile just because I I don't have enough. Um, At that point, we did have to feed them kind of hay and and a little bit of distillers which was not fun by the end of it but then we were able to kind of early turn out because we didn't burn because we didn't need the gain and so we turned out a, and then kind of went back into a supplementing protein but those cattle got a little thin in in april may but that was okay it started raining again and i have not weaned those calves yet and i won't wean them until kind of the middle of july and so what we used to do was we would have those fall cows would get just obesely fat when they went to this flint hills grass dry why did we put them out on the grasses it was still the cheapest place that we could put the cow, you know we couldn't we couldn't put her out there and feed her anything less. I mean, it, it was we could have probably put her in a better body condition by feeding her in a dry lot, but it would cost more money. And so she went out and just got pig fat. My hope is we can transfer a little bit of that onto the calf. You know, if we can keep three hundred pounds off the cow, but put two hundred pounds of it back into the calf wean July we'll actually just leave those calves in those pastures pull those cows back to their calving pastures and I'm going to have a bunch of fall calves that'll be 13 months old before I ever have to put a bite of feed into them yeah yeah and yeah. especially you know the heifers are good for me because it's just a it's it's the old Burke tiger trick of of you know cheap heifer development just do them for as cheap as you can Run them all through the system, see how it falls, and I, I've we've done that for a lot of years, and I'm a, I'm a big believer in that, and so it fits that model really well. The bulls, we're going to be able to, I think, build a pretty good product just because those those bulls have just been out on native, you know, got the right now they kind of have their own creep feeder and babysitter built into one, I guess, with mom because they're you know they they don't need that milk at this point, but um, it kind of goes back to where where could I do it cheaper and, and get a better return? I mean, they're on they're on grass. I mean, I, I can't do it for less than what I'm doing it. Um, and then I'll leave them on there and then we won't start feeding them until, you know, kind of later into the winter months and kind of kind of get them kind of sale ready. But um, they'll be they'll just be a better. You know, they'll be harder boned. They'll be just more developed. The rumen will be more developed. They'll just be a, a better product and that'll make us look better. One on selling the bulls and two, we won't have as many problems and and so i'm pretty excited about that um so so that's what we do on the feed we do also have a a, a grow yard that we have that um we'll still take some yearlings in and, and they just kind of get the the old 33 meg 30 meg you know standard flint hills you know two pounds of distiller and the absolute cheapest junk hay you can find and everything gains a quarter of a pound a day if they can possibly eat enough of it you know we we do a little bit of that ourselves too um just just because of where we're at i, I you know i can't exp- it i'm i'm still stubborn as anybody i guess in the flint hills is we're gonna have yearlings because we live here why not i mean we just can't help it
0: <laughs> every time i go to the flint hills i, I hear a story from the hoys or, or one of their other friends that i just kind of go okay so that's how y'all do it over here <laughs>
1: It's, it's a, not it's how we a, do it, this, it at home. This community is a tough nut to crack. I love it. Um it's it's full of quirky people and characters, and it has been forever. And it's uh it's it's to our detriment sometimes, but also to our success. You know, I'd argue that um it's still the reason there's no trees in the Flint Hills, and we've put ourselves in a good position from a biological standpoint because when everybody else kind of in the country quit burning because K-State told them it was bad and, and the city started leaning on them, you know, there was still a bunch of guys in the Flint Hills that kind of went out with both fingers in the air and a six pack of beer and would get on the open <laughs> range roads and burn 50, 60, 70,000 acres. And, and, uh, a lot of those fires are still happening today, honestly, but it, it's, it's a quirky place.
0: And we we can talk a little bit about, burning culture in the flint hills and why it's a good thing i don't think it's some of the stories that i've heard i i can definitely believe that they happen over there right but i can also kind of see some of it here in my area happening and going no that that just wouldn't work here because you know of the way land is broken up and different landowners that are more opposed to, you know, are historically opposed to fire and have been for 60 years because we don't have as widespread of a burning culture as y'all do. But on the other hand, I feel like we're quite a bit more organized on the burns that we do. We're not just a couple of okay. guys that grab a case of beer and, you know, a fire stick or a drip torch and go blast down county roads having a good time. Like, we we have a plan. Like, we, we have a prescription. no doubt
1: that you're probably more organized. And and there were, we 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 uh, we're all involved. I'd say at this point we're kind of a uh, we're morphing a little bit. That I'm on some that are really pretty well organized, and and we you know you kind of know what you're doing. And then there's some that there's still some of the old timers that you're you're just trying to keep up with. <laughs> and
0: We've got a couple of those too. You kind of stick around for the brief and kind of listen where he wants you to go light fire then he'll just go take yep. his torch and do it and you better keep up yep
1: yep 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 yeah we've met we know I, that guy I, i've uh i told somebody else i said you know i used to think it i get all of a sudden when i started kind of having a little more of like a managerial role in burning it went from being one of my favorite times of the year to absolutely one of my least favorite things to do <laughs> and <laughs>
0: I, you know i've kind of gone the other way i okay I I really enjoy the planning. Like I enjoy sitting down here, staring at Google earth for two or three nights in a row, looking at wind maps and looking at the map of what we're going to burn and figuring out how to do it safely. And, you know, contingency plans. If it gets away, Oh, you know, I'll write up a big briefing document, have safety brief that morning. <coughs> if I've done my job for the two days beforehand, I brief my crew, right. And I just go sit on a hill and listen to the radio and watch everybody do what they're supposed to do and just watch this beautiful fire come together. Yep. It works like that about fifteen percent of the time, but <laughs> it's it's pretty cool when it does. <laughs> but I, I really I I enjoy the management and I enjoy the management and planning aspects of doing prescribed fire in in a complex environment. Yeah. But well, I also still love getting on, it, you know, grabbing that drip torch and walking a canyon and making a whole bunch of cedars get really, really warm.
1: That's, uh, yeah, that's that's the ones I like too. And, and I think that's, it, I would say maybe we, uh, it's not that, I mean, there's a lot of really capable people in, in this part of the world that know how to deal with the fires and know how to put them out and know how to, where to pinch them in and, and do those things. And that might be to our detriment at times that, um, you know, cause you kind of get to where, you know, where you're wanting to be and you're like, you know, what would really help carry that fire A 20 mile an hour wind. And, and so, you, you know, you start kind of pushing it, you know, yeah, this would burn at that humidity, but you know, it would really make that thing crackle and sizzle if it was really low, you know, and, F- and, uh.
0: <laughs> Waited until it was like four percent humidity at ninety-five degrees with a fourteen point five mile an hour wind, right on the hairy edge.
1: That's right. That's right. Yeah. And those, and those are so, days
0: that get interesting and have a tendency to get long.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Those are the and and we still and I I would argue this is the right thing and and we're blessed to have the opportunity. To me, a safe fire is a big fire. Um. You know the longer you string the lines the fewer interactions you need to have with it you keep the people out of it just just and it gets it over with and so you know we're still you know i mean there's several that we're doing that are you know 10 to 15 mile long lights um and those are those get it over with i guess but they can it, it just they make for tense moments <laughs>
0: And, and like I was saying, we tend to do things differently here. We only will go out and prep up a fire. Card, sometimes, you know, make a make a bare dirt strip blade, whatever we need to do around just the area we want to burn. And that's all we put fire on. When you do that, you start, you know, in the downwind corner on a downwind side and do a ring fire, light your backfire, then come up the flanks and do the head. And it's always my goal, no matter how many miles of fire line we have to do. It is always my goal. I want to have this, I want to have the thing circled in by about two o'clock. Because at two o'clock, you still have fairly good weather. Your weather, like your fire weather tradition on a typical burn day from two to, you know, four or five o'clock, that's your high danger. So if you get your circle closed up at two, you know, if that's your goal to get it closed up as soon as possible. That lets you knock units off the line to go start doing your patrols, your downwind and your flank patrols before your peak danger hour when you have the lowest humidity of the day and the highest temperature of the day, which is going to occur sometime between four and six, depending on what time of year. And usually you make it to that point where you feel, where you feel the warmth just knock out of the day. Yep. And the wind turn cool. As soon as you feel that on a fire line, I'll make one more lap. And if it hasn't escaped, I'll send everybody home. Yeah. Because at that point you're done because the humidity's coming up, temperatures going down, your fire danger's dropping rapidly.
1: What's the, what's the typical size of a fire out there?
0: Oh gosh. I mean, you're saying like 15, 20,000 acres. And I we very, very rarely will we do something that big. That's a once every three or four years. We'll do a lot of them. Um, We'll do several in the five thousand range. A lot of them are more in the two, three thousand range, just because it's. Okay.
1: But they're good manageable ones. That's what's a lot of people. Like we've we've talked to like EPA or KDHE types, and and KDHE gets it pretty good, and EPA will if you if you talk to them. But you know, like eighty acres, and they want to want you to burn an eighty, and then like a one sixty, and like those are awful. Yeah, but they want to I mean, do
0: like, well, you can't burn the whole thing. You gotta do this eighty, this yeah. eighty, this eighty, this eighty. Like right. I don't understand. Those are
1: that that doesn't and that's what you know, and that's why I say a safe fire is a big fire. Um, and you get into those, you know, that extra zero putting them into the thousands, those really are a safer fire than you know, burning that eighty and then go burning that quarter, and then burning that quarter, and then burning that eighty. Those are just you got people in the fire all the time, and you just can't you just can't get out of the way and let that thing go.
0: I'm thinking of one we did. Oh, I think it was, it was three or four years ago, over on uh, over on the Nichols Ranch, southeast of me. It was fifty three hundred acres. It was so big from one side to the other, our radios wouldn't reach. So we did have we kind of had to put somebody in the middle, so one line boss could talk to the other line boss, and we could make sure we were coordinating. So I got put in charge of one side. Another guy was in charge of the other side. And I'd measured the fire line the night before. It was like 20 miles, I think, to get her, like 20 some miles to get around this thing. And we didn't get started till 1030. And the last words of my, of the briefing, right before we lit the torches, I said, speed is life. Let's get this done. Keep moving. And we got around it and we had the circle closed up in under three hours. Well, maybe it was right at three hours. Yeah. It's just hang the drip torch out the window the side by side turn both valves on all the way and just 10 miles an hour down the fire line till it ran out and
1: stop and refill that's that's the way to do it that's the way to do it
0: it, it was pretty intense and um that <laughs> one stayed 100 percent inside well no it didn't stay inside the fire lines that one got out but that wasn't my fault it got out never is uh. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've taken the blame for a couple like I'll, I'll own yeah. there's a, there's there's two of them that I'll own that you know it's just <laughs> a failure of planning on my part or you know failure of vision or failure of preparation you know so there's a couple you gotta own there's some yep. that there's some that really nobody could have seen happening and sometimes sometimes you'll have one get away from it when you got all the units there and everything's going right and a rabbit runs or you yep. know
1: we uh, had that we had one of those that- behind you we had a, we had a dirt devil fly through one or a, you know, a windstorm deal fire devil, I guess at that point. And that's my brother was on the front and I was driving, I don't know, second or third truck. And we were getting it beat down pretty good. And that thing blew through there. And, and my brother looked back at it and goes neat for (laughs) this word. And you see that big old flame, you know, that big old tower of fire blow through that deal. And then it went into the grass and it kept going it's like, Oh,
0: (laughs) I had one of those happen on me a couple of years ago. We were up uh, up by my buddy's resort lake that he owns. There's a bunch of houses. There's like 60 houses around this resort lake, and we're burning the part of the property that was just right west of it. Of course, you know we're doing it with a west wind because there wasn't any other wind we could really do it with, and um, we we were just we were just lighting up the last I think 400 acre unit that was all kind of connected and the wind switched a little bit and we had one of those fire and smoke tornadoes come up and it passed right to the north of where we we're all sitting there eating pizza and was headed right for the resort lake with 60 wow. houses and all this tall grass around it we're all You're gone done. oh no but it Good times. it dropped the fire and by the time it got over there it was just smoking and ash and, and went whipping right across but yeah i've, I've seen those and i i it's it's kind of strange cuz you see them fairly often. Like I'll see them I'll see a couple a year. I mean yeah. not every time you go on a burn but I mean it's fairly often. Yeah. But getting that on camera, getting a picture or video of that is just almost impossible.
1: I think is when you see them you just stare. Like that my brother just, you know, he he knew it wasn't a good thing but just stared at it cuz it's just so crazy and loud and bizarre and you know big old funnel full of fire moving that fast, funnel cloud full of fire
0: cruising yeah past. And you just
1: you kind know, of look at it and go wow look at that
0: Glad well, that's not it, heading my way
1: yeah and then it it can it can weigh way ways to a lay waste to a lot of uh a lot of work you just got done doing <laughs> in a hurry so
0: while we're talking about burning now this isn't my viewpoint okay because like i said i'm not there this is just what i've heard is that the burning program you guys have had in the Flint Hills, and I say you guys, not a personal attack at all, uh, for so many years of burning kind of in that same basic time frame at kind of the middle of April, turning out double stock and yearlings, is that shifting is that shifting away from a native forage to a different forage composition or is that allowing some invasive species to express themselves that aren't vulnerable to fire at that time?
1: think the answer is yes um and here's here's where the this is where this thing gets a little hard um why are they burning in april well it's because of what we talked about everybody's stalkers that's what you and, do in to fly hills and, and that's what you do so it wasn't a problem and i don't know, you know in terms of a native base i don't think it really got into like the the four main grasses, for example, I don't think it really hurt them much. I, I think they're they're all fine. Um, obviously, the the big worries in the room are lespedeza, um, which we can't kill with fire, and that freaks out anybody in the Flint Hills. The the one that's going to be bigger than that that's all of a sudden starting to show up is Old World blue stem, and Old World blue stems are a mess, a mess, mess to have here in the in the Flint Hills. What are you Hills. talking about?
0: That's my favorite grass.
1: Yeah, well, and Sericea <laughs> lespedes is the favorite legume in a lot of places in Missouri, too. Yeah. <laughs> but one, one man's trash is another man's treasure, right?
0: I was kidding about Old World blue. I stores.
1: know, but, you know, <laughs> there's still places that you can buy the seed at the hardware store and go put it in. I mean, it's still a, but it's uh, I goes, wish the state
0: technical committee would just ban it.
1: I do, too. Yeah, I do, too. Um, there's, there's a lot of things I wish we could do there but so it is a problem the what i worry about is if we start moving the different times on burns will we have as many acres burn because if you look at it we're still we're still in a deficit even as much acres as we burn in the flint hills if you look at it in actual terms of like brush woody encroachment we're still losing the battle and there's still enough acres that aren't getting burnt enough if we intentionally you know, start chopping it up? Was that, would that be negative? I yeah, think isn't, it will. That,
0: isn't that crazy that, yeah. is, that, that you guys burn almost 2 million acres a year in the Flint Hills and you're still, we're still not doing injuries. enough.
1: Yeah, we're still, we're still losing that encroachment fight.
0: Um, yeah, We're just hanging on tooth and nail to, to maintain a core here in the Red Hills. And it's,
1: yeah, well, I, I think what we look at is, is, you know, when you actually look at those data points, you know, we look good. But if you look at it like on a mark, you know, if you just like a snapshot of it, you know, you look, oh, the flannels are pretty good. But if you look at it marginally where we're at, you know, we're just we're just 30 years behind Manhattan or any other place, you know, we're we're, we're losing it it's the same. We're just on a different point of that curve and we're waiting to explode. But we're still the path is pretty well defined where we're at now. If nothing changes. And that's a that's a scary that's a it's not good. Um, but to, to go to your point, I, I'm actually going to try some summer burns this year. I think there are some things they can do for some woody types. My worry, and I don't know how to I don't know how to make this all work together, is what we had talked about earlier. What's my favorite fall feed? Rank grass and buyer at mineral. That is the absolute cheapest thing I can do for a cow. If I summer burn, I remove all my rank grass and if you've got
0: moisture
1: you'll have a good flush you you will but you're supposed to be pretty easy you're you're not you're supposed to be pretty pretty light on that grass too aren't you you've got to be
0: really light on that late summer flush after burning ask me how i know
1: that's that's what i've heard and so that's my my worry you know is there's a lot of stalker grass i would argue that it would not hurt at all even to to Ship those cattle off and then burn that pasture, you know, or let it let it regrow burn. I, I think some of, you're going to give up a little gain on a certain pasture year to year, but I think you can move it around. Um, I've gotten so dependent on scavenging that rank grass and my operation. It's going to cost me a lot of money to summer burn. Now it might be worth it. Because, you know, in terms of saving pasture itself or saving chemical or whatever it's going to be in terms of trying to get brush, you can, I might not have a choice, but I can't present off season burns as a money saver in my operation. I, um, and that's agree with
0: that from what I know of ranching economics in the Flint Hills.
1: And that's, that's unfortunate. But, you know, we've been able to to this point and everybody, nobody believed me. And I think it's because we had kind of a closed herd, didn't bring cattle in and, um we didn't have Ceresia on our ranch and then all of a sudden last year it was like son of a gun where did this come from and like it was everywhere and so now nah, everywhere i mean isolated in, but it was on two different sides of the river like it showed up in in multiple locations at once and so now we got it um and same thing i have like a little patch of like a 15 foot by 15 foot of old world blue stem that i'm working on on a place it has don't know how it got there and so i'm I'm not too sure that, and that's that's where we'd be trying to do with like a summer burn is trying to trying to crunch on some old world blue stem pretty hard. Um, that even though it's going to cost us money, I'm not too sure that the decision might be made for us. I'm not sure we have a choice. Um, but yeah, you know, that there there have been some that have burnt like in November up here, and I don't like that. Um, I think that's I mean, too late. Too late. It, then there's no regrowth, and then you yeah. just have you just yeah, I don't like that. Um, you know, somewhere around that late July, early August, I think there's a window there on a wet year that it it could work. And I I'd argue actually a lot of the April burns are too early. Um yeah. I think if we did those more like last week of April, first week of May, um, we'd have better results than those anyway. But
0: I've seen July 15th burns here in the in Red Hills work great. August 1st, August 15th and August 31st. Like we've we've covered that 45-day window here and I think that if we had moisture there'd be guys that would be that'd be willing to push you mm-hmm. know push into August and maybe even a little bit to September. I I don't know what it's like there. So here if I've got good spring and winter moisture starting about starting about the 21st of April I'll start to get cheap like I'll start to get some of my lower C threes coming up, and that's a good, you know, that's a good high protein grass, or at least it is for me. And about now, when the wheat starts to turn, all my cool season grass is shut off, but I've had warm season grass for two weeks. In another two weeks, it's really going to be kicking ass, especially if we get mm-hmm. some more rain. And I'll get almost all my grass production before uh, July fifteenth. Now, the question. And, and then from like the end of July, then everything goes into phase three and we're kind of coasting and we kind of fall into this nutritional pit where all my warm season grasses are curing. I don't have any cool season because it's too hot. There's no forbs because it's too hot. But then we're waiting for that fall green up, that fall flush of cool season grass. And I've seen years where we've had a warm and wet enough winter where I could carry good you know, cool season grass all year you know, all the way through the winter. That's uh, okay. That's maybe like one out of seven. So I'm not ever going to bank on that happening again. Um, and kind of like we talked about earlier, uh, grazing management, a big part to grazing management is not just figuring out how you're going to graze this year. It's how do I get back to here with this number of livestock? How do I manage my forage budget successfully through the year? you can't plan your winter, you plan your winter grazing now, right? Like I start planning my winter grazing now. I just have a gross idea what, how much forage I'm going to take out during the summer. So I know how much I'm going to leave winter stock for for pasture stockpile this
1: winter. Is your cool season, is it, is it like a native cool season? Is it in kind of with in your prairie? Have you been able to kind of get some of that coming up or is that not uh or is it more like our deal do you have improved pastures that you're really cranking down and managing hard like we're doing
0: so an improved pasture would be like something that was farmed that's planted back to grass do you still plant some grasses in i don't have any of that Mm -hmm. dad took over the ranch back in the mid 80s he didn't want to farm and there there wasn't farm machinery here and he didn't have the money to go buy it but there was about five six hundred acres of farm ground he just got a note. He just went and got the no till drill from the conservation district, or maybe not even a no till drill at the time, just got the grass drill and went and drilled in grass seed. What he didn't do till about 12 or 15 years later was put Forbes in with it. And it's only when the Forbes, I think it was when he put the Forbes in with it that things actually really started to turn around. Because I remember, I remember all when I was a kid, uh, I call one of the areas. Farm fields because it was old farm fields, and I call the other other half of it North Indian, South Indian, and there's some scattered around in other places, but you know between North and South Indian and and the farm fields, that's probably seventy five percent of it, and I can remember for years like it was just it was short grass, it was just buffalo grass, it was just it was real short sod, not a whole lot, not a whole lot coming up down there, and after I came back from the Navy in 2006, about 10 years after he'd planted the Forbes down there, we started changing up grazing pressure a little bit. All of a sudden we started getting good grass down there. So I think Forbes are key, but I guess to go back and answer your question. um, No, I don't have any improved grass. Everything I have is, is native. I mean, so something I've said several times is yeah, there's native range, and there's a lot of it in the world. And, you know, we talked about how little of, of it there is. And let, let's, let's tweak that terminology a little bit, okay? So we can take a field, a piece of ground, and we can plant it back to the natives. Native grasses, native forbs. That's, and we can call that native range, right? We can all agree on that. But look, let, I've started using another term, old growth grassland. And the old growth grassland is the stuff that's never been plowed. And I know you've got a bunch of it because you you can't plow it. You can't plow something that's 85% rocks. And I've got a bunch of it because you can't plow something that's on a 30 degree slope. So the old growth grasslands. And do we know what? I'm sure there's some species in there that that weren't here. You know, some of the bromes, fine. They're not taking over the world. You know. They're not taking over the world and they're just a nice bump for cool season protein. Old world blue stem, I agree is a bad problem. I've got a little bit more than a 12 by 12 patch.
1: <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking a lot of people are about to, too. I think it's more pervasive. I think as soon as people learn how to ID it, they're going to find out they all have a bigger problem than what they thought.
0: Yeah. It's it's kind of like serice. You, once you see it, you see it, and you see it everywhere. Yep. And it's like, yeah. you freak out. Um, Old World, man, that's a tough one to crack. I, I've been down the chemical road with it, okay? I've tried Arsenal. I've tried Roundup. Both of them work. If you just want to nuke it and kill it, and you can keep spraying it and you can keep killing it, and it'll be bare. But you won't have Old World Bluestem. You stop spraying it, and it'll come back. Like, that, that's... Been been my experience almost exclusively is you could spray it, but it's just going to come back. Uh, graze it hard. We grazed it at 200,000 pounds stock density for one day. Didn't hurt it. Hmm. We grazed it. I, I put cows on it at 100,000 pounds stock density on a day when we had two inches of rain. It didn't hurt it.
1: Really? I'd have thought that might have got those crowns there high enough.
0: It it breaks them up, but it doesn't kill it. It just keeps mm-hmm. spreading. Now it, the hot ultra, like the, the high with the rain, that also grew a lot of big blue stem in that area. A lot of disturbance that a lot of disturbance hadn't grown big blue stem, but it's two years later. It's back to being choked out by old world. Hmm. So I don't know. I it's enough. There's enough of it in the world that you'll never keep it off your ranch. I, I, I just I, I, I'll i never keep it off mine like it's it's all up and down the road ditches because the county plants it and there's a lot of old world blue stem hay that was transported around that put seed load up and down the ditches it was a very popular thing to plant for erosion control in the 80s and 90s you know a lot of guys planted it for erosion control in the 80s and 90s well that's great it, it held those slopes and now it's going to hold down the rest of the pasture just as well I I just i have a hard time thinking about trying to use trying to spray it to kill it but i haven't found anything else that's that's effective control and i think we can kind of agree cattle really don't like to eat it and when they do eat it they kind of don't really do very good on it yeah um but on the other hand maybe maybe as it does become more of a component in the pasture our cows will get more adapted to eat it and we'll learn how to eat it and use it that's that's my hope because, so anecdotally, my cows, I want to say my cows, just just for clarity, there's some, um, I got about 30 from Josh and Gwen about okay. a year and a half ago, a bunch of their red ones. Um, I bought a pile at a Woodward sale barn and I bought another pot load out of Lampas' Texas sale barn. So put together sale barn cows and some some kind of nice ones from Josh. They don't know how to eat it. they'd walk right by it okay, fine you know not everybody likes pizza either I put a I moved them last year I moved them back across the road put them in another part of the ranch and I brought in some um, brought in some customer cattle down on that south end where I do have the old world blue stem problem <laughs> so the first customers' cows last summer they just walked right by the old world They didn't look at it. Okay, fine. Not everybody likes pizza. Moved them out because they were a fall calving operation. Took a, about three months off, and I brought in another bunch of dry cows that, calved, that started calving first of March. And they came off a ranch about an hour south of me down in Oklahoma. And he's got pastures like that are literally 100% old world blue stem that these cows have been in. And some of these cows he's had for four or five years. Guess what they know how to eat? they like pizza <laughs> they eat the old world blue stem and they eat it they eat it down like they eat it pretty hard so i'm gonna play with them a little bit this year might smash them into a spot without old world and see how they do with it because they're they're eating it better than the last group of cows we tried it with so maybe we can get our cows trained to eat it maybe not that's the direction i'm gonna go with old world
1: Yep. I'm, uh, I guess I'm still more scorched earth. I'm going to try to get, get, uh, I'm still going for complete eradication, even if I know it isn't going to happen. I'm still going <laughs> to, I feel like, I feel like I have to, cause it's like you said, you know, our term is an old, old growth. I think is what you called it, but you know, virgin, we got the virgin prairie is what we call it here. Okay. And, uh, I guess I always look at it as I owe it to the prairie to at least try to keep some of these things beat back a little bit, but, um, and that's why we'd be looking at, I was reading some work. I think maybe Casey Olson did a couple of things like consecutive summer burns, like two or three consecutive, fairly high intensity summer burns. If you can get a high intensity summer burn, but trying to damage those crowns that way. And what's he calling a high intensity summer burn? Well, you, one that goes at a crawl, not a slow crawl. I think <laughs> the higher intensity summer burn, if you will. Okay but something the crown and and i'm i'm getting out of my wheelhouse here so don't if somebody listens to this and corrects me that's fine um i think the crowns are higher than native is what the deal is and so i think higher off the ground yeah higher up out of the ground i think that makes it more vulnerable to a summer burn than like a little blue stem or a or a big or a indian or any of those and so i think it it gets it gets um It gets snapped back by that. You won't kill it, but you'll hurt it. And so the point is, well, you hurt it pretty bad, kind of come back the next year, you hurt it a little more, and then you just kind of hurt it a little more, and you just kind of try to beat it into submission that way.
0: I think a guy could probably put some pain on it with, like, a July 15th, August 1st burn and then then turn out on it three weeks later Mm -hmm. and just keep them on it and see what they do. I wonder that might do something. I mean, you might at least keep it in phase two until it goes dormant and keep it from going right, to seed. Keep it
1: from seeding. Yeah, yeah. All so, right, enough
0: about old world blue stem. I hate that. Yeah, style.
1: there's a lot of people in fescue country right now going, "What? <laughs> yeah." <laughs> something else. I'm glad I don't have. And if I
0: infect the fescue.
1: That's right. I uh, I've told a lot of other people though. After we planted this this bottom to fescue, and everybody's like, "What are you doing?" And I've I've thought, you know, the only people that don't love fescue are the people who have only ranch with fescue and nothing else. You know, they're like, "Boy, this like, why would you ever do anything with fescue?" And it's like, "Are you kidding me?" Two acre stocking rate, like, graze it twice a year, maybe hay what I couldn't get ahead of. Like every time it rains three inches, like I put the cattle out there because like doesn't matter. Yeah. And and if I do happen to kill it, I just plant more. It's not like this this other stuff I have to treat with kid gloves. I mean, I I love fescue. I love it.
0: Yeah, and that's kind of that's something I was kind of wanting to say earlier when I was talking about the farm ground we used to have is just had this conversation the other night like I might not I might not mind having that now. You know, it might yeah. be really nice to have 600 acres of cool season covers. That I know we're in front of me. That I know I can go down there and graze in the winter and have and have good forage for my cows.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But you know, getting from A to B. (laughs) (laughs) If I would have been farming it this whole time, I probably would have never got where I'm at.
1: That's right. That's right. At least we're not farming.
0: somebody in this somebody listening to us in a tractor planting corn just turned it off
1: (laughs) yeah i'm I'm sure i've got a lot of farmer friends i make fun of they they sure think i'm insane they think i'm doing it wrong too so although with nine dollar corn or whatever i i guess that the jury is out on the the decision is still (laughs) they look to be winning at the i don't know if they're winning or not the inputs on that deal are horrible that's 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 why i don't farm It's just I I don't understand the balance sheet of it. I my my uh, my education at k State was actually not animal science, but it was ag business actually. And and for whatever reason, I guess I that made sense to me. I I can't do accounting for anything, but I can balance sheets and cash flows and some of those make sense. And the the depreciation on steel is just and iron and tires and gas is just it's too much. I just can't. I can't do it.
0: It really doesn't make sense with five dollar diesel.
1: No, it's it's. Macaulay Kincaid
0: says it best. He says, "I cannot control what I make. I can't set my sales price. I can only control what I spend." Yeah, and and he's right. That's a very limited lever that we have. And when you're locked in, you know, when you're locked into the 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 green iron cure, as my dad likes to call it. For all the world's problems or yellow iron cure if you're you know on the construction side hey do you know what the difference is between a farmer and uh, and a construction worker what's that farmers don't pre- pretend they're construction workers <laughs> equipment operators
1: equipment op- yeah i, I yeah. knew where you were going with it yeah.
0: yeah farmers don't don't pretend they're equipment operators um yeah but if you're you know if you're locked into that You've got those equipment payments. You've got that depreciation. You've got that banker with a 5% note breathing down your neck. And you've mm-hmm. got to go get those crop insurance contracts so the banker can ensure that he's going to get his payment.
1: Yep, I, uh, I heard it best. A guy told me one time, he said he'd buy another combine when he saw one lay down in the spring and have another. Okay. But, you know what? That's I like that one. I'm going to steal that. So. <laughs> I just did pretty good
0: yeah never seen a combine over having a baby swather in the field
1: yep yep So, so it
0: sounds like you manage quite a bit differently from most of your neighbors which i'm assuming are going to be typical flint hills operations so what kind of differences are you seeing in in the forage and in the soil from the difference in management
1: um you know, I can't speak to their um, soils and and some of those things because we're not, uh, I don't measure theirs. Um, and so, you know, and that's where I get, you know, it goes back to my worry about dogmas and stuff. I mean, am I doing better than them? I don't know. I don't have, I don't have proof of that. Um, right. Am I improving my own system doing what I'm doing? Yes, I am. I can, you know, I've, I've got the the year-on-year soil samples, the, the forages that we're able to build um and one thing i i really lean into is technology on all these things um you know our ability to to, and data management i'm comfortable with data management i think because of the cow side of things you know when we're doing you know birth weight and weaning weight and yearling weight and ultrasound and dna and and you know all these other observations on a cow um, it's pretty easy to make those leaps from the animal side and make those into the land side. Um, And so yeah, it's, I think it usually goes slower than what people think. And I think that's maybe oversold at at the seed sales level, cover crop seed sales level sometimes and some of the management. But we've increased in about the last 10 years. I think we're up about 3% organic matter on some of those places we're really looking at, um, which is pretty good. I'd, I'd argue, um, 3% one I'm, improvement. yeah. And, you know, and, and a, that's, I guess like I I'm pretty happy with that. We actually just did our first Haney test, um, which I'm kind of, it, it's kind of like a balance sheet, I guess. So I, all I can say is on year one, I was, we were better off than where I thought we would be, but I can't give you any sort of tracks year over year because, you know, it's just, just a, a snapshot in time. Um, but we, uh, we had more going on in our soil than I thought we would. Um, in fact, I, I, I sent him on the, the Doug Spencer who works with NRCS, if you know Doug. And I, I said, I don't want to be surprised, but I think it's working. <laughs> it's actually, it's, looks like we're doing the right things. Um, and we've, we've parlayed some of that. I don't know how much we want to talk to, but I know you and I are doing some similar things on, on some, you know, Uh, carbon storage and some of those um one of the things that i think we have to do on as we lean into technologies and and do these is is also you know get paid for it um ecosystem
0: services and benefits
1: yeah and and um you know increased revenue streams and and like i said ultimately you know what's going to drive um whether it's, whether it's carbon storage for better grazing, or whether it's, you know, just name, name anything that you can talk to on anybody about regenerative, and it'll kind of get the people who like to talk about ecology and only ecology, especially NGOs, and it's some of those that makes them nervous, but um, money, money is going to make a lot of these things go, and, and you can do that either of one of two ways, you can, you can go broke, by not doing them and that's kind of that negative incentive or as I look at different things that we do on our ranch and and we can go into as many as we want but I look for opportunities where it's a win-win for everybody and so whether that's me selling a semi-load of bread heifers or a bowl or a, a load of you know a certain bowl to a semen project or whether it's you know working with virtual fence with our with our national preserve neighbor or whether it's doing carbon storage it's what is the shortest distance that we can make it a win-win for everybody? And and the 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 dirty truth is that a lot of times it the answer is money. It, it when it's profitable for all parties, that's what makes it go. And and um, um also part of that is measuring these things, I guess. But um, but that's where we're kind of where we see these things going. But yes, we're getting better. Yes, we're tracking it. Um Yes, we'll have a better idea in the future. Yes, it takes longer than I think maybe what it's sold to a lot of people. Um, I do wonder as I've been looking into some of these things, I I think I'm probably in a even moving 3% in 10 years. So I've done some things that are probably considered sacrilegious at times, like this spring, Um, you know, we had a rye cover crop. And I had two decisions. I could have, you know, I could have plowed that into the ground and really had really good soil going into summer. Or I could have also silage cut it and put it in a bag because I'm scared to death of where feed costs are going to be this fall. And I I bagged it. I I did. You know, I, I look at these things as you know, this good soil's a bank, you know, and and you 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 put those you put that money in, you put those reserves into that. And every now and then you're gonna have a time you got to make a withdrawal and that's uh you know this year on on some of these feed prices we we're making a withdrawal on. um now granted we'll put manure back on and we'll do you know we'll we'll try to we'll try to remedy that as best as we can but will that hurt me a quarter of a point on organic matter maybe maybe it will maybe it won't i don't know um and that's where i told you that maybe i'm not as as pure into some of this thinking as some people because I still kind of think about it as, as a business first, and then the regenerative stuff is the best way we run the business, not the other way around. And and ultimately, why is that? Was because we still have loans. We, we're still a fairly young business and we still, I still do have to answer to those bankers at the end of the day. And so I can't just, I can't just not for a year, you know, take a year off because it, it doesn't work that way. Um, I, so, I can't
0: take a year off either. I wish I could. Yeah. It'd be yeah, nice, this it be year nice.
1: being so dry. Just be like, you know what? Screw
0: it. It's dry. I don't want to do this this year. I'm going to Florida.
1: That wouldn't it be great. Yeah. Or yeah. we should have all just sold out in 2014. And if I had a crystal ball, what I shouldn't have done is doubled up like the, the winter of 2019. I thought it was going to be my year. And I mean, we loaded up, we had the right feed and we had a lot of cattle and then, and then COVID happened and that didn't, that didn't work out so well going going with a bunch of cattle there but
0: 2020 wasn't a bad year to raise cows was it was a good rainy year
1: yeah well it was wasn't a good year to have a whole bunch of them on feed because we had a bunch we had a bunch of cattle on we had a bunch of stockers on and then that was when the plant fire happened yeah and i'm also pretty slow to learn and so when the plant fire happened and it bottomed it out we put them all on feed i thought you know what you crooks we're not going to take that watch (laughs) me win and so we, we had a bunch of cattle that were supposed to come out like April 15th. <laughs> and yeah, it, yeah, we probably should have just sold them after the fire and found a place to hide, but we didn't do that. But, but, uh,
0: yeah. Lesson learned. I think, that, well, lesson learned. Lesson is a never, fun story now. Yeah. You can't beat the Packers.
1: No, no, that's, uh, you, you can't. And that's, and that's part of, you know, some years we feed some years we don't and that i think that goes one of the lessons i learned when i was a commodity broker is one of the one of the things i still kind of think about a lot is we had a saying that the market will remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent and so as individual players in this market it really doesn't matter what you or i think at the end of the day the market's kind of going to do what it's going to do and i mean we can all try to like help it one way or the other but at some point we, you know, essentially we take what's given to us or, you know, it, it's going to be what it is. And you can kind of, you can kind of, you you make it work, I guess.
0: Yeah. It, yeah. You know, talking about markets and and market power, been on my mind a lot. Of course, you know, like we last couple episodes with Mike Calicrate, Brett Kinsey, Don Shufflebean, we've been talking about, you know, access to markets and, and market power. But where do you draw the line, and who enforces that?
1: Yeah, if you if you give that so,
0: weapon to government,
1: there's a here's a tan. I don't know. I and by the way, I like the shuffle interview. So this is, I right. guess, a uh, uh, as a uh, I am a, a fanboy, and now on the show itself, so that's kind of weird. But I am a listener of Ranching <laughs> Reboot. But Thanks. I like I uh, I like I don't like having everybody sound the same. I, I, I I like the idea of getting some, I think you need to get a Packer on here, honestly. Okay. I, I would, I, I, uh, throw down most of my news as a, as a, uh, like too old to claim to be a millennial, but not exactly, uh, like a gen X. I'm kind of stuck in the middle. Like I'm kind of, I'm, I lean your way. 36 to 44. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm there too. It's like and so, we're a like, weird lost half generation in there that grew I'm, up I'm kind analog. Of stuck there that, like,
1: I don't know what TikTok is, but I don't really care for being spoon-fed cable news. And so, like, I'm a podcast guy, so I get all my information from podcasts. So, this is this is kind of nice, but um like,
0: so what what kind of meat pack like a plant manager or somebody from like, no? I think you need to get a
1: big three on here. No. I think you need to get a JBS guy on here. I'd really I would really I, I that's what I want. Okay. Well, let's let's
0: let's do that. Let's throw it all all 14 I don't know listeners. I don't know who to
1: tell you to get but that but I uh I I don't I don't think uh you know I don't ever get on a podcast to be comfortable in terms of as a listener. You know, I I want to I want to learn and I don't mind, you know, listening to to one you know somebody that's way on one side of an ar- argument and then somebody way on the other side but um But no, I, I, I I think you need to really go deep on that. And I don't, like I said, they, they, they don't know me. They, they, they're not going to, I I just, I've got a form letter. I've
0: got a form letter I'll send out. Let's see if any of the 14 people that actually listen to the podcast besides you have a suggestion (laughs) or have a contact, maybe at Cargill, JBS, uh, there you go, Marfrig or Tyson.
1: I want it. Come. Yeah, let's do
0: it. I, that'd be that'd be interesting. I have no idea what kind of questions I'm asked, but it, I usually don't have any idea what kind of questions but, to ask anyway.
1: There, my my worry about the whole marketing thing, and and this goes back to, it. It's kind of what I meant there. You know, with the with my comment about the market can do irrational things. Is at the end of the day, I don't think the market cares what I think. But what 100%. I hundred percent. What I do want as a seed stock provider is what, you know, and like I'll I'll tell you, like I do stock grower council on KLA. Why do I do that? I want to be involved because I want to make sure that my customers are successful because I can't be in business selling bulls unless the guys who buy my bulls are successful. And so a lot of those cattle go into those traditional marketing avenues you know there's there's not there's a lot of guys that do you know they're doing what you're doing but they're not all and so you know they're going to cargill they're going to tyson they're going to those places and so they can't just go away i i don't think they can just go away
0: um i think they the term that would be used in congress is too big to fail
1: which i think is so i have a I have a libertarian leaning like you I know from listening to the show that's problematic that's in, in in whatever business that we're talking about I don't like too big to fail, whether it's a bank or a packer or a car builder or anybody but um i I'm not too sure, and this is where I'll probably get in trouble do we have a packer problem or do we have a feed yard problem and when I say that is the Packers only one half of that deal. They're taking the deal that is given to them. And when we get a lot of these corporate feeders that are, that are making these deals that are, you know, kind of off. There's the the transparency deal, I think is, it should be fairly low hanging fruit. Um, You'd think. and, And that's my worry about it is I, the way I look at it is, you know, it's a free market you're allowed to take you know do what you want with your money i get that argument but on the same side of that you're not allowed to be a market externality either and i think we're getting to the market sizes on some of these things that you know once you're an actual externality on the market that's where regulation has its place where you can't you, you can't just kind of grenade somebody else not because of a you know, it, it's above and beyond, and it's going to be, you know, the, where the debates are is not, you know, what is a fair market, what's a free market, and what's an externality, I think, is there'll be all sorts of fights about this. But you, you can't just throw your weight around to that extent that you can just crowd it out. Okay. Um, well, evidently you can, and that's the problem, <laughs> but I. You know, i put it this way. If if I would have if I had it self-inflicted wound after self-inflicted wound as mushrush ranches, and there were so few red Angus bulls for sale or bulls in general for sale that every time I had a bad management decision and I killed 20 cows, and so I had five less bulls for sale. And then I did something else and I killed more bulls. And every time I did that, the price of bulls just went up and up and up. It wouldn't really it wouldn't really send me the market signal that i should be a better cattle manager right and i think that's where the packers are at is every time they burn something down they're rewarded for it and so why why do better and and i know you know they'll say market share and all this and they and they really do I mean, for my brief one year working there i mean i i don't doubt that that they work together when they you know that's a little strong phrase they, they would prefer to steal market share from each other. I guess I'll put it that way. And I don't think there's any sort of, you know, JBS says, well, I'm going to run it down this week and then you do it next week and we're all fine. I, I think they'd just be fine if they all ran each, you know, all the ones broke and then they were just a sole monopoly. But um, I, something still in the market mechanism is obviously broke. Um, and, and that's my worry is, like I said, is, is we got to get we got to get the right type of cattle rewarded. I don't, and I, I kind of, I think it's maybe a straw man argument that I hear a lot of times that, you know, well, if we go back to, to, you know, sort of a cash market, well all the cattle will be the price the same. That's not true at the sale barn level, or, you know, if you get on a video sale seven weights still have a huge, you know, 20, $30, a hundred in price and we have technology tools here and I, I think through technology is where we'll get is where these cattle will be priced better um but i'm on this issue i'm, I'm tightly held conviction What how's the saying go um strong convictions loosely held And that <laughs> i'm <laughs> I, all i know now is i don't like where we're at now and i think is it puts my customers at a at a at a disadvantage to sell their calf crops. You know, my my 500 head I feed out a year. I'll be honest, I just might quit. And, and it's to the point that I don't need to do that for pride. And I'll just quit. And that's, I think, what they want anyway. And that's fine and dandy. But I still have to have a good market for my customers to sell their calves. And I don't know if that's where we're at now. And unfortunately, yeah, we're probably going to be there in a couple of years because so many cows have been slaughtered because of drought and low margins and everything else. And is that really where we're at as an industry is we just wait for a really bad continental drought to come by once a decade and take out so much production that we have a couple good years. And it, it, you know, it feels cheap. That doesn't feel like a very sustainable, uh, business plan to me. And there has to be a better way.
0: And it seems like where we're at with the drought and cattle cycle that, it should just go up for the next 18 to 24 months. Yeah. Like up, 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 like we might see another 2014 style peak.
1: As long as, as long as the the geopolitical stuff stays in balance. (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah. But you know, and, and, but that brings up another point, you know, like these, these geopolitical risks and COVID kind of showed this, the food shortage you know you're a navy guy and and the examples i've used is actually kind of navy related that efficiency sometimes maybe isn't the best answer that we need when food security is involved and you know the it's the cheapest way for the navy to run the carrier groups would be to to lash them side by side you know if you just dock two aircraft carriers together that'd save the taxpayer billions of dollars a year that'd be a cheap way to run aircraft carriers but we spread them all over. Why? Because there's some redundancies. You don't want them all in one place because bad things can happen. You know, it's incredibly efficient to have, you know, the Southwest Kansas corridor and shoot, you could almost throw a rock and dodge city and throw from one 6,000 head a day to another 6,000 head a day. Yep. And there's, there's efficiencies there. And, And if you've ever been in one of those plants, it's, it's unbelievable. And, fairly important that we have that but where who who pays for the lack of redundancy when the wheels come off and that's the worry is it's not the industry itself it's it's us and the consumers yeah
0: and and ultimately the taxpayers are probably going to get handed a big bill which again disproportionately kind of lands on livestock producers and landowners
1: yeah and so it's a it's a it's a
0: uh we're gonna pay to we're gonna pay taxes for the next 20 years to bail ourselves out this year
1: (laughs) that's how it works (laughs) and so you know i i don't know i i uh i've i've listened to all of them and i know you have a couple podcasts you haven't published yet that probably have some guys talking solely about cattle marketing and i guess i'll put it this way i'm
0: well last week was corbett wall but you haven't heard that yet
1: No, that's, I knew you had him. You told me that when we we moved ours. So I I don't, I'm sure Corbett wall has an opinion on, on uh, what needs to be done here, but uh, I don't, uh, you know, I, I've, uh, I've ruffled, I've ruffled feathers at KLA. I think, I I think we can say that. I know I did. Um, And that's fine. Um, You know, that's, kind of going back to the shufflebine podcast. I mean, people, you got to go, got to show up, got to get involved. I, I still do. I still do prescribe to that line of thinking pretty hard. Um,
0: yeah. When you said you, you worked with KLA, I like, I tried to suppress an inward groan. And then I thought about that shuffle bean line. Like you should, we got to work Everybody with people. Should. You got to
1: show up. Everybody should. And, and, you know, I'll tell you this. Um, there's some, there's some times that, that things will go on there that'll frustrate me, but there's also some really good things that they do. Um, and even if you don't agree with them on say cattle marketing, um, you know, property taxes in the state of Kansas, you look around and you got a pretty good deal. And if you don't think you got a pretty good deal, go ask somebody at ranches in Nebraska what their property taxes are. Yeah. And yeah. and you know, I mean, there's some. You know that doesn't all just happen by accident like that's not because that was you know that wasn't thought of by the kansas city legislatures and so you know so there's some i don't I'd, I'd tell anybody to get involved I, I really would um now don't think you're going to walk in and win everything because that's just not how life works when you're an adult in fact i'd argue if you're a self-employed adult in the livestock industry it's going to be like normal like you're probably going to lose 25 now you will win 25% of the time, 20% of the time, and you'll probably spin your bearings 80, <laughs> but it's. Sounds about it's, right. It, but it's, you know, it, you've got to be involved, I think. Um, but as far as the cattle marketing, I, I, the transparency deal seems like an easy win to me. I, I don't, especially some sort of an anonymous contract library, it seems. I, I don't know. I don't know what that would hurt. Um. You know, and like the idea is that it get into your, you know,
0: and everybody argument- knows
1: what I sell Red Angus bulls for. Maybe I'm 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 used to it here. I'm already conditioned to it. You know, Mush Rush Red Angus has a bull sale in March. And with Facebook anymore, before I even know what the average is, the stock exchange and, and somebody else, DB Auction will put the averages on Facebook and everybody knows what I sold bulls for before I even know what they sold for and so i'm kind of used to having my underwear out in public i guess you know kind of everybody everybody kind of knows and like a contract library wouldn't even be that pervasive it'd be anonymous yet so you just see what red angus bulls in the state of kansas brought
0: yeah. well but one argument i've heard against that is they said well they'll be able to go through that anonymous contract library with all the numbers and figure out what's going where and who's buying what. Like who? Like who's gonna uh, have are, are you gonna have the time to sit down and do that? Am I am I gonna care? No.
1: What's that? I guess that's my yeah, who who cares? I you know, they're my, the only
0: ones that care to keep them in the dark. The
1: rest of us want them out in the open. Well, and from from my days of doing that in the contract, the stock. Everybody kind of knows that stuff anyway. I'll be honest with you. Like it's you don't have it you don't have it really, you know, contract for contract, but you know who's in a buying position and who's in a short position and and you know, you know what even well with with electronic trades it gets a little harder now, but I mean even in the pit days you know who was doing give up business trying to get stuff. I mean the industry kind of knows where these things are anyway, even if they're not published. So I don't, I don't know, I don't know what that would hurt. Um, I do like the mandated cash trades. I do see the argument that it could hurt somebody like me, who is one selling red-hided cattle, and selling a couple of them a year. I mean, I could see me being forced to take the back, the back seat on some different things, and and that's a whole other can of worms that we could go down. But, um, yeah, and back to
0: that mandated trade. Okay, it sounds like a great concept, but in whose hands are you going to place that weapon? Yep. Are you going to give yep. that weapon to government? Are you going yep. to trust that they're going to wield that weapon responsibly
1: for yep. that's, until you know, the that's end
0: the, of time?
1: And the, the people who are really on board with that, and there was a brief period of time, I kind of thought that was the answer until I learned a little more about it. Um Yeah, you the people who are screaming about packers and stalkers right now seem to want to give that to packers and stalkers. And it just, I don't know. I, I don't know. I I think I like I said it goes back to I I'm of the opinion we need to have some corporate feeders who are still more the old school who are just some yard managers who are maybe a little more old school and a little bit more mean and just want to run a little more money out of each animal you know i don't know they're, they're they've they got a lot of throughput and they want to lock in a margin and get the next margin going and they kind of look at it as a dollars in dollars out lock a margin in but fight for every dollar guys just just be mean about it just kind of push and and i think it would help the rest of the uh rest of the industry out. So I don't know. I, I'm not too sure that our blame isn't misplaced. And that's a, that's not a great thing to say, but. um, I I think us as cattlemen,
0: I think every cattleman's got to share some of the blame because, you know, you've been here 12 years, you've been doing it 12 years. I've been, I've been in the business since 2006 and let's be real. I've been doing it full-time on my own, about as long as you have. There's a lot of guys that have been doing it longer than you and me guys guys that i've talked to that are just now in the last couple of years since since the tyson fire and you know all the black swans of covid however how many black swan events covid yeah. has been i think we're up to what four now three four you don't like yeah. It. yeah yeah you know there's been a lot of guys that have lived through that and there's even a few guys still around that remember quote the good old days before the checkoff and it's really it There's just not very many of us. There's not very many people that have been standing up since the beginning saying, this is wrong. We can't let things happen like this. There's a few of them, like Mike Calicrate. And Mike's a good guy. I I appreciate his mind. I do not agree with him 100% on everything. And I think if we did, that'd be dangerous. But he's been here, and he's one of the few voices that I can think of off top of my head. That ever since this this crap started in the early '80s, he's been outspoken almost since day one. You know, I'm sure Bill Bullard up at RCAF is another one, and I'm sure there's 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 several others. <coughs> we've got to carry some of the blame as cattle and as cattle producers, as as backgrounders, as feeders, as seed stock operators, and as cow calf producers. You know, we've been silent too long. We rolled over and let this happen.
1: Yeah. You know? so what do we do?
0: Yeah, that's the tricky part, you know. I, I've had a lot of conversations. I mean, you say you're a self-admitted podcast fan, you've heard them. I mean, I've had the conversations with yeah. a lot of folks, and I wish I had an answer. I don't. I really say it don't. doesn't
1: sound like anybody settled on the silver bullet yet, though. And I, I don't think there,
0: there, there isn't. I mean, it's no. too big to fail. So the situation that we're we've got with the meat packers being eighty to eighty-five percent consolidated. There being virtually no cash trade on fat cattle in most of the country. There being a depressed feeder market, a manipulated feeder market, because, you know, it kind of bases back to the cow market or back to the fat market. And there's no competition. And prices keep falling. Inputs keep going up. I mean, yeah, we've rolled over and taken it for too long. We got to do something about it. But how do we fight it? How do you fight a system that's basically too big to fail, that repeatedly the government refuses to get involved, refuses to enforce the law, refuses to investigate? What do we do? I think I think the answer is to not play the game. I think the answer is, is to build our own pathways to market outside the packer and feeder system. And, you know... As a grass, as as a producer that's trying to be one hundred percent grass fed, it's not easy. And no matter how much we try, you know, Fisher Grassley fifty fourteen the compromise bill uh, transparency, none of it matters at the end of the day. I don't think any of it's going to really change that much about the way the Packers do business. It might look better and feel better in the short term. But later down the line, it's going to sting worse. we just stop playing the game. That doesn't mean they're going to go away overnight. Even if Cory Booker and Elizabeth Warren get their way, they're not going to ban KFOS overnight. Like, they're not going away. As gross as some of them are, they're going to be on the planet for a long time, right? I mean, even the pig, pig barns and chicken barns, they're going to be here. But they don't have to get any bigger. They don't have to get any bigger than they already are. They can stay the same size of problem. And as time goes on and more people populate the earth, we build alternative pathways to market. Their power gradually decreases and goes away. Right, Kodak. You remember Kodak, right? He used to make great yeah. cameras when we were kids. Where's Kodak now? They failed to adapt to to changing market conditions. They failed to adapt to a new technology that came up not saying there's a new technology coming up in cows or in grazing which i mean there is some and hopefully we can get into that here in a minute but there's not a there's not a technological leap that's really going to transform the industry like that i don't think i think it's just going to have to be it's going to be a drift a slow drift um but the faster the better
1: Hmm. i wonder how they can keep going with labor And, and uh, I mean, you know, there are already so many staffing problems at these plants. And that's, I mean, I guess. Well, 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 the
0: argument is just pay them a fair wage, right? If you paid your employees a fair wage, they'd show up to work.
1: Yeah. Yep. You can make a lot of money working at a packing house right now. If you've seen some of their starting hours, (laughs) they're, they're wanting to pay people. I bet you anybody wanted to go work a gut table in Dodge City right now, could probably make a lot of money but not n- nobody's <laughs> right well that's the thing is i mean is and, and not uh, i mean even the migrant labor anymore is is kind of going you know doing what what migrations do i mean as you assimilate and move on and it's just it's a it's a changing it's a changing job market and they're not able to get people hired it just and you know you can you can have a robot if somebody explained it to me, you can have a robot kill a pig or a chicken because they're all the same size. Right. And maybe they'll get there on some of these livestock, but or you know, some of these cattle, but it's not there yet.
0: I think if and, Don Schifflebee and the American Angus Association had their way, they'd all be identical cattle within 10 pounds.
1: Well, they're working on it with beef on dairy, I guess, but that's a that's a whole other tangent I could go down, but
0: it's sounds like another episode
1: actually. That that there's probably a two hour episode, and I would have a lot of people mad at me if we talked about beef on Terry.
0: Write that down.
1: Not a no no sour grapes as a guy with Red Angus at all on that one. <laughs> that's fair. That's fair. But uh, but uh, yeah, I you know, it, like I said, my my worry is though is whatever happens and this will sound like i'm half measures and a little bit i am i don't want the change to be so radical and sudden that my bulk customers go broke that's my that's what gives me you know if i was just you know joe schmo guy with a with a stocker business or whatever i'd probably be like you know what burn the whole thing down but i have too many people that are that are customers that sell into the market as it is and i got to keep them in business now we got to change it we got to tweak it so they're making more money but i don't know i don't know if there's something you know i, I don't know I, yeah I, I don't know we're not going to solve it here i don't think today <laughs> nope
0: probably not the uh, oh our hour and 45 minutes yeah we go pretty time. so time we've been dancing around something and Um, i know we spoke a few days ago and it's it's kind of a fairly new system so if you just want to give us a kind of an overview of of events and what you're hoping to accomplish with it yeah what 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 is it
1: what is vince so vince is something that i have wanted for a long time um it is it's so what it is is it's virtual fencing so Think of it as controlling animals. It's precision agriculture for livestock grazing. That's the best way I guess I could put it. So our cows are wearing a cheap, it's not actually a GPS, it's it's AM radio and then has some other things involved, but um, through a series of beeps and then a shock. And we have video evidence of all of our family holding it and testing it out. And it isn't gonna, it's less than even like a hot shot or a or a solar fencer, but it makes you drop the collar it's it's good times to give it to your daughter and your wife in video
0: um (laughs) did you you make them wear it and run to the far end of the yard
1: we we uh we did have a piece of the yard done and then wanted to see like how far the line was and how accurate it was it's it's good times i'd recommend it on itself get get the system for for shocking your family okay good times um (laughs) But what it allows you to do is um, control grazing. Well, we already talked about how rocky it is, how difficult it is to manage here. So instead of when we've we've been doing rotational grazing since the the big drought, kind of you know ten years ago. But what does that look like in the Flint Hills? Well, you you kind of use the pastures you already have. If for you know I mean even pushing in posts is awful. Like I can't go just. I can't step pigtails in where I want to put them. It just doesn't, that doesn't work. Um, So, you know, we have this pasture that was was a a quarter, this pasture that was a section, this pasture that was a 900 or whatever it is. And so what you do is you just kind of rotate through the pastures as you have them. Um, But that doesn't do much for the landscape. And as I've told somebody, our ranch, if you look at it, like on a Google Earth, it actually kind of looks like the map of Africa. So it's kind of big up on top. It funnels down to that 400 acre fescue deal at the bottom. And then there's a couple, a couple borders that are kind of creeks in here, but by and large, you get up to the top of it and it's just linear borders that crisscross through the open landscape. Okay. Why are we managing, this is a bigger, you know, kind of a more 30,000, 40,000, 80,000 foot question that I like to I like to get into. This is kind of where I like to think. Why are we managing it, those areas? Well, we are because that's where the fence is. You know, it doesn't make sense to manage along those those uh, those existing fences. They don't really make, you know, they make sense because two guys 100 years ago decided that's where that fence needed to be and that's where it's been ever since.
0: Yeah, it makes a a lot more sense to me to try to manage a drainage or a watershed than it does a square that was arbitrarily drawn on a map without looking at the topographic lines.
1: Or or where, you know, we know that like in, in our part of the world, like we already mentioned, there's areas of incredible thin soil. Well, then there's a lot of areas in those bottoms that have a lot deeper soil can grow a lot more grass. Well, if you're a cow, would you like to graze the palatable deep grass? It's ten feet from the water site, or would you like to go stand up on the side of the rocky hill?
0: Oh, I'll go stand on the side of the rocky hill where it's right. And, and so, you know, and stand. so we
1: we have utilization issues. Even if even if you crunch down into you know quote unquote crunch down into quarter sections, which you know is a Pain in the ass does does a lot of grazing you know you what are you talking about you know it's not even real managed grazing well it's what we've got so it allows us to use like i said precision ag for grazing animals so with especially with um it's called the wraps data raps um Rain, range analysis platform it. that's right
0: well you talked about gpgi i figured you're on the RAPS train too
1: that's right. I'm on the raps train, and this if for everybody else who's already against big government. Guess what?
0: They <laughs> already some, know.
1: There. How would you How would you feel if the government has been taking a picture of your ranch every 16 days for the last 30 years, measuring <laughs> your forage on your ranch? <laughs> they already have. They already have. But now we have the data that we can actually dig into it and find it, and so you can either be. As a libertarian, a little bit upset by that, which is understandable, but now that the genie's out of the bag, you can either bury your hand in the, head in the sand or you can use that data. I, I, so I, I look at it data. and go,
0: Holy crap, we need to change some things.
1: We're going to change some things. And so when and that was one I, I didn't talk about it or when we I talked mainly about forage samples. You would ask if we had seen improvements. The RAPS data shows that we've actually seen a lot of improvements on our area and our ranch on dry matter output. I mean, we have real numbers that show it. We've added about 400 pounds an acre output, um, and so so you combine these different technologies, and we can apply the grazing pressure where we can. We can back off of it where we can't. So that's that's half of this equation that that we're doing here is, and that's the fun half, I think, for for me as a as a manager is really dialing in my grazing to apply grazing almost as a prescription where it needs to be um
0: okay okay so you're a data nerd I'm a data nerd everybody else listening just tune out for about 30 seconds so how excited are you about looking at grazing heat maps versus wraps forage production
1: I think you look at them at the same time I I think grazing why well, so no I, grazing heat maps excite me a lot more. That's a way more exciting thing to look at. But I think you use the wraps to build your heat map and then confirm your heat map on the back side of it. So I think they, I, I still think that you, you're probably going to look at a lot more and probably make your, probably draw your KML files a lot more accurately with your wraps and get, you know, as this thing goes. I think we, we don't even know what we don't know yet in terms of where we're going to pinch everything down i i think that's pretty sure um but yeah the idea of actual heat maps as opposed because it's like everything else that's a reward like when you're actually you know eating that grass or you have that like that's your money like you don't you don't get any benefit per se in just growing the grass right and especially in the flint hills you're just going to set it on fire if you don't use it you got to <laughs> eat that grass in, in order to gain a benefit of it um and so to be able to to do that and, and a lot of this is driven too. i mean i'm not sure we're going to go buy a bunch more flint hills grass because it's bringing too much can't afford yeah. it and so what can we do to increase the efficiencies on our own ranch that we can increase animal units and not have to do all the capital outlays of actually buying more ground and, and dealing with that whole thing um and so that's the exciting part now that's one exciting part from maybe the bigger watershed I think excitement is of what is the project that we're involved with and this is I think pretty neat so we border um if anybody's ever been in Chase County and been on the the tall grass nature preserve or the tall grass preserve that's it's, it's kind of off of 177 we border them on the west side okay it's kind of a uh is a joint it's a it's a national park that's Owned mainly by the Nature Conservancy. So, kind of a, a third party NGO owns most of the grass. Um, the government owns kind of the main site and then kind of facilitates the rest of it being a park. So, I'll be the first to admit that there's been years in the past and people that worked at the park in the past that we probably acted like a bunch of Chase Countyans with, um, meaning we get pretty combative this is a better way in my opinion so they have a list of concerns and their list of concerns looks like you know uh wildlife habitat riparian zones and maybe we can graze grass because the grass needs to be grazed as a rancher i have a list of demands it's demands a list of things i'd like to see you know first i have to have the grass grazed because that's how i pay the bank and you know if i Improve my riparian zones, what well, makes sense because you know, it'll ultimately be more grazing and less erosion and better water quality. And so, there's some things there. And then, wildlife habitat is probably least on that list of three, is probably the lowest one. But I mean, it's not going to hurt me to have more prairie chickens, for example. I don't think prairie so chickens could,
0: ever hurt anybody,
1: right? And so, we could look at this as two ways. Um, I could look at TNC's list and say, Well, your list is out of order, you dummies, you don't know how you're doing this. And they could do the same to me, or we could look at this project and say, "Hey, you know what? We each have the same list. You know, we we all care about the same things. Yeah, we have the order in a different way, but what is a tool that we can use that we start managing landscapes as opposed to managing, you know, just physical structure physical in terms yeah. of a of a pasture? You know, how can we manage landscapes the best? And Vince is a prod is a Product that's going to let us do that. So we collar cows on our place and then um, and then on they go on the on the park side as well with collared cattle. And yearlings don't work with this yet. Um, the training period takes too long, and and Mexican yearlings that come into the Flint Hills are just too dumb and wild. It just doesn't work. Um, so we sent a bunch of dumb, tame, registered cows is what we did. So we can control, so we, we're doing riparian studies on their side and just as importantly on our side so we're, we're doing riparian zone studies we're doing uh, manage habitat for wildlife and through the increase in grazing efficiencies we manage to keep the grazing units the same so what that does is what i mentioned too is like how i sell bulls i want to manage outcomes where everybody wins and so how do we do that we have virtual fencing that's how we do that so the tnc we manage a landscape with them and we have more prairie chickens we have more just you know kind of real adaptable i don't say movable because they, they won't they'll move but it'll it'll be slow i mean there's 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 some things we can do with wildlife that that are that we can't do with hot rope and we can't do a permanent fence is the last thing we don't need more permanent fence because that's how all these woody invasives come into the flint hills and and so this is a this this is really kind of a big um as i've told more than one person i i don't know if i can tell you that the outcome is decided on this yet whether the the affordability of events or long term us working with a third party that with a different set of goals but at the end of this five years ultimately what i want in terms of my ranch or chase county or the state of kansas or grasslands in argentina with some of my buddies whoever it is i want all the opportunities for a rancher to make money and how do we do that if how do we how do we do that more efficiently how do we do that maybe in a different way this could be a possible avenue and this is a different way of doing things and this is also a different way and like i said tnc is happy because we're gonna we're gonna make more prairie chickens you know we're gonna protect some streams um you know those cattle standing in streams that doesn't do me any more good than any of the animals that might be living in that stream you know that's just all they're gonna do is get foot rot and they're not out grazing yep i've told more people kind of tongue-in-cheek you know i don't have black ones they don't need to stand in the water at three in the afternoon they can go out and eat Yeah, mine don't stand
0: in the shade they don't
1: stand in the water (laughs) they're out working mostly they don't stand in the
0: shade because i cut all the trees down but
1: that's right and we're working on that too but you know even this vince project that works well so um and so like the the gpgi tree removal types we know a lot of these programs for people that aren't familiar with them you
0: that's great plains grassland initiative
1: yes and
0: just for a second we we're going to mention it i'm going to put a link in the show notes and i'm also going to put a link to raps rangeland analysis program so y'all listeners can go check those out and maybe we'll circle back and do do some episodes on them i've i've been trying i've emailed direct twidwell twice he should do a show i I wish he returned my dean crable
1: dean crable should do one too he should Uh, come on and talk about
0: it i think dean just sent me a Friend request on Facebook this morning. There
1: you go. There you, there you go. You got it. That'll do. be an easy,
0: uh, that that'll probably be an easier Perfect. contact. Perfect.
1: Um, and so part of those though, it's not it looks as trees as a pest. So you don't just cut down the tree, then you're done. There's a monitoring, there's a there's a certain time years afterwards that you have to make sure there's no regrowth. So you can go through there with expensive chemical and do all that, or you can use vents. Set exclusion zones, grow some grass around those sites, and then kill those saplings with fire. And so that's what I look for in technologies is things as I, I look at all these different things that we do as systems. So I have a genetic component of our ranch, it's a system. And our grazing is a system. What works is things that kind of interlock these systems. And vi- virtual fencing is something that lets us do multiple, multiple, um, Issues or address multiple issues simultaneously. Um, you know, I I think you want to talk about probably a good use of government money. If you want to get into like NRCS, I think they should be funding this because what you know they right now they pay to have a grazing plan.
0: They they should fund to put the towers everywhere absolutely let the landowners pay for the callers just build absolutely. out the infrastructure build the expensive absolutely part, and let should. us carry the
1: cost absolutely should i i think it'd be a great idea because you know and in, in terms of like grazing plans or any of these other things that you can do through equip or or state cost share any of these what other program would they ever have that they could see you implement it at a high 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 degree and have real world data collection they would never have to come out and do a re you know just send them over the file at the end of the year and show them what you did on your grazing plan yeah and your grazing plan would be phenomenal it'd be head and shoulders above anything you've done to date and with the grazing
0: um, heat map that's generated off the digital collar data and gps timestamps, you can prove yeah. you didn't overgraze something you yeah. can prove that you rested something long enough
1: yeah and and so that's where you know that's a little bit of a tangent but that's that's what we're doing um and that's honestly this has been kind of a big project for us it's um it's exciting um one of my brothers just came back in january i mean this was a big enough project that we added a sibling to the ranch for this and as anybody knows with a small family business when you add another family member it's a big deal because you don't have don't have a plan b i mean you have to make something work when their last name is your name right um and so that's uh it's something that we're kind of whole hog on right now and and uh we don't know like we just got the towers built here a week ago we've got everything out they're turned on we're playing with them um honestly i don't even know what i don't know yet yeah yeah Um, well, I do we can know we circle like, back later and, and come I, back. I'm back. gonna, I do know that like those cows are four miles away from the ranch. But the day I wean those fall calves, they're going to be standing at my house. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and if I have to get a rodeo out of it, we're going to just for fun. But we have a set of colored cows in the middle of another set of cows that will be weaning the calves. And I'm going to see just from a management standpoint if I can't. Take one set of cows, move them to another side of a pasture, and then over the course of a day or two, move another set of cows through their pasture, through two sets of gates and bring them up to the set of pens. That's Four cool. miles. That's cool. It's awesome. It's I, it's I, really great.
0: I try not to sit here and think too much about how I would use them because I don't have any yet. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but it's it's uh it's the future. I I I'm well. You know, I think in 50 years, every animal in the in the country will probably, it won't even be a collar, it'll probably be an ear tag or something that, that does all this. Um, but we have to adapt. I think everybody knows, you know, long-term prospects of making money in the livestock industry is it's a break-even business. And so if you aren't trying to be a little bit better and get a little bit more out of what you're doing, you're not going to be successful. Yeah and that's and that's why we're doing it you know it's almost a benefit of doing it that it's so cool because if it was a headache we're still going to have to do it because we don't want to go broke um but this one is unlike some of the other things we do that are a pain in the butt this one is something i've wanted conceptually for a long time and and now we've got it and um like i said the the possibility of the the way we're working with tnc i think opening up new models um i think you know because everybody can talk about you know these third party types coming in um like i said the, the tnc is can be an easy target for people believe it or not as a rancher you share a lot more goals with tnc than you do say a deer hunter from texas i would i would lie on that hill with you sir and and so, I mean, these guys are a set of people that if you really do care about your ranch, you can find some common goals and work with some of these, some of these sort of groups. I, yeah, I don't really, be turned
0: off by the coexist sticker on the back of their Subaru. They're really good. That's
1: right. That. You know, because at the end of the day too, they're, they're, people have more money than you do. And oh, yeah. so, I mean, they will beat you if you don't join them. I, I really do think that's, you know, that's, that is the case. And so. Um, you know, you're not gonna work with a deer hunter. He's gonna grow up brush and kick all the cows off. Yeah. And and so, you know, to his own detriment, I'd argue, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, that's they're they're managing for a different outcome.
0: I'll I'll piss off the all the deer hunters that may or may not listen to the show. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying. I see it happen here all the time. And well, come out and they'll buy a piece of property out here where the deer are good and land is cheap because, you know, they're from the city and they have small shitty deer in Louisiana or Texas, whatever. Fine. The problem is, is they watch, you know, they'll watch like a couple hours of, you know, deer hunter TV from a show in Georgia and they'll get this idea that if they let the trees grow up, it'll attract yeah. deer. Okay. Yeah. That's true to a certain point. You know, that's one of those dogmatic things that gets dumbed down and then taken back out of context and misinterpreted. So are trees good for deer? Some trees are good for deer. Which trees are good for deer? Well, the ones that provide them a food source. Acorns, oaks, walnuts, things like that, where they can get some food off of it. Cedar trees, elms, catalpas, um, Kentucky coffee bean trees, um, Osage orange. Yeah. Deer don't eat that shit. That's not good deer yeah. habitat.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, is, you, uh, you know, another thing that
0: gets me is they'll like the hunters will say, Oh, don't cut down the cedars. It's good deer cover. Well, it's good deer cover. They'll hide behind them. So you can't see them. Like right if you yeah, think that, if you that blind
1: think, goes both ways that you think that brown
0: deer way. is going to go go stand in front of that green cedar tree you're dumber than you look that brown deer is laid down in my three foot tall brown grass and you won't see
1: him yeah he's not going over there yeah Yeah. so that's you know and, and we're seeing that more and more here too and it's it's a you know it's a problem um it's in fact i'd say it's probably a bigger problem than the cericia lespedeza and the and the uh, old world blue stem is maybe who's buying some of the ground in the first place. And I, that's that's and that not ties, very uh, politically correct of me to say it, but. And that it, ties back
0: uh, to to raps and some of the things that we, you know, we understand from raps and GPGI. And what I'm talking about is we're losing the Great Plains. Yes. Now, recently, we're losing the Great Plains. We're losing our native prairies faster to brush encroachment than we ever lost them to conversion yep. To arable yep. farmland
1: and, and that's, that you know, that's scary and those and it's not being done in those situations by accident and that's the maddening part to me is they are managing an outcome just as i am but our outcomes are so opposed to what they are to each other that i don't see i don't see how we bridge that gap you know and it's not it's not like uh you know, it is not like, okay, you want to buy your own piece of ground and you're going to let it grow up to and trees. And then like, they respect my wishes to stop at the, at the fence either. No. You know, it just, it, it doesn't work. And so I, I, uh, I don't know. I, I would like to see the state of Kansas maybe change this because a lot of this too is we're encouraging some of these guys to come in here just by the way we write our tags.
0: But then again, Um, you got to put on that gold hat with a porcupine on it and go small government. What?
1: Yeah, I know it. I know it. But, you know, if you are a big government guy and you want to make some money, though, to me, you would model your your hunting permits after some of the big game states. So, you know, Alaska, Montana, Colorado, they do a pretty good job using hunting as a revenue source. I'd say better than Kansas. You can't go as an out of state landowner get a guaranteed draw with a hunt on your own land tenant tag just because you own a little piece there you don't get that guaranteed tag at that discounted rate and if your brother-in-law wants to buy a horse and throw it out there he doesn't get that tag at a tenant guaranteed rate either at those and, states and you shouldn't get an agricultural exemption exactly right so there's some things we're going to have to change in the state of kansas i think to to change with the times unfortunately, but. Um, but that's neither here nor there, I suppose, but yeah, I'm,
0: I'm with you on that. So.
1: But what's
0: well, been a great afternoon. You ready to go get back to work?
1: Yeah. I got to go pull cedars here in a bit. So
0: pull cedars, C I D R S, which is related to breeding cedars C-I-D-R-S. as in Eastern red cedar trees.
1: That's right. That's right. I, I'll be pulling cedars this winter with the uh, C E D A R S I guess, but, uh, you know, we, we because we are registered we breed we breed everything ai at least once and so um now the good thing is with the fescue i'm putting all these young pairs down there and then we have a facility there so it's less of a less of a rodeo than it used to be so we're (laughs) we're gonna go walk them through the facility down there have a nice bud box and and it shouldn't be too much but it's uh it's like everything else i mean don't you want to catch every cow four times before you turn her out one last time for the summer
0: oh yeah we just need to run them back through the pens just one more time one you more know, trip through the chute
1: that's uh it's you know I, I actually i like it it's uh i i told somebody else to me it's maybe one of the most optimistic things we do because if you weren't optimistic for the future why the heck would you ai your cows because it's so much it's so much work involved but um in the actual i i i don't mind doing it but it doesn't mean that it's uh it doesn't mean that i need to go get to it here so <laughs> all right
0: fair enough i'll let you get to it uh, i really appreciate your time today daniel it's been yeah a lot it was of good fun. it went
1: fast it was really enjoyable and i won't listen to this one but i uh, <laughs> at some point i want to turn the tables i have a lot of questions on on uh like what goes into one of these things? The uh, fan. Like you're how not much time do you work on this now?
0: Uh, I don't want to talk about it on air, but you're not the first. You're not the first person that's asked me some of these questions. That that day's coming. That day's coming. Where I get maybe that's that's seat.
1: another idea for an episode of the sign behind the scenes. Uh,
0: a, a listener's panel where y'all get to put me in the hot seat and ask me questions. I'm i working on that.
1: Working on it. that would be good. All right. All right. Hey, it's been
0: great. Thanks again, yep. Daniel.
1: Sorry I couldn't come out and see you in person, but uh, we'll do it next time.
0: You know, I I'll get up to Chase. Well, I get up to Chase County every once in a while. Next time I come and see Josh, I'll make you. I'll make the special extra hour up five
1: miles and come on over the hill.
0: I'll I'll make sure I do that.
1: (laughs) All right, right, sounds good.
0: All right, gang, y'all have a great week.
1: Sounds. Yeah. Thanks.